Greetings. This is part two of Lehi's dream. If you remember, Nephi is writing this account, so it's reasonable that we would get more detail from his experience than we did with his dad, Lehi. Lehi's account is basically, I had a dream, a vision, and, and here's what I saw. Nephi then has the same vision, only he has an angel guiding him through it. There are a couple of words you want to look for. One is look, and it has an exclamation point after it to remind you that this is, there's a lot of emphasis on that word. And the other is behold, or any form of that. I beheld, beholdest thou. Um, the word look is a command to pay attention to look at what's before you. But the behold words are teaching words. Did you notice this detail? What did you think about that part of what you saw? And here's the lesson here, and this is what that meant. So those are two really good words to look for, maybe even mark in your scriptures. Nephi's experience started as most revelation starts. He was pondering over the vision that his father had, and he wanted to know what it meant. Most often, revelation comes in answer to a problem or a question, a desire to know. In chapter 11, verse 2, he asked, What desirest thou? So pay attention to this pattern as you seek guidance from the Lord in your life. Verse 8, look, and Nephi sees the tree. He describes its beauty and tells the spirit that he has seen it. And he's asked again, what desirest you? Well, Nephi wants to know, what does the tree mean? And again, look in verse 12. In answer to that desire, Nephi is brought on a journey to teach him about the Savior and the condescension of God, or in other words, to show how the Savior came from a higher state to a lower state, or earth, to accomplish his mission to us. Nephi is asked, <clears throat> Knowest thou the condescension of God? Nephi replies with what he does know. Well, I know he loveth his children. He then is taught of the Savior being born in the lowest of circumstances, in a stable surrounded by animals, already having been rejected several times with no room, no room at this inn. He then is asked, do you know what the tree represents? And Nephi, it clicks with him, and he says, Yes, it's the love of God. The angel continues to teach him of Christ, his baptism, which, by the way, was in the lowest point or the lowest place on earth. And then his ministry, where the Savior delivers, promises, and offers second chances. If you think about that, <clears throat> think about the stories and the things we learned last year. He delivers the leper from his disease, the blind from, from not being able to see, the dead are raised. He promises, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. 
In the Beatitudes, there are promises of great blessings. He offers second chances, the woman caught in adultery, the rich man, the woman at the well, and so many more. Isn't this truly the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? With Abraham, he was the God of promises. He was promised posterity, lands, and priesthood. With Isaac, he was the God of delivery. At the moment of Isaac being sacrificed, he was delivered. And Jacob, poor struggling Jacob, he needed the God of second chances. So in the Savior's ministry, he went to the people at their lowest places in their own journey and their own stories and offered hope, help, comfort, and a path forward. The angel then brings him, brings Nephi to the scene of the crucifixion. And again, the Savior goes to the lowest parts of human experience. He suffers all sicknesses, all emotional traumas, all mental illnesses, all physical pain, all results of sin that anyone could ever experience. Now, why? so he can meet us anywhere in our circumstances and know exactly what we're going through and to be able to lift, to promise, to deliver, and to offer our needed second chances. So, back to the tree. What is the tree representing? Yeah, it's the love of God, but it's more than that. Robert L. Millett commented, The tree was obviously a doctrinal symbol, a sign which pointed beyond itself to an even greater reality. Yet the tree was of marvelous importance, for it was the symbol even from the time of Edemic paradise of the central saving role of Jesus Christ and the glorified immortality to be enjoyed by the faithful through his atoning sacrifice. Nephi's vision was to be more than an involvement with an abstract concept called, quote, the love of God, unquote. It was messianic message, a poignant prophecy of him toward whom all men press forward on that straight, narrow path, which leads to life eternal. The tree represented more than an abstract emotion, more than a vague albeit divine, sentiment. It was the greatest manifestation of the love of God, the gift of Christ. For God so loved the world, Jesus explained to Nicodemus, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That love is made manifest and is extended to all men through the atonement. It sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men through, appropriately, the bloodshed in Gethsemane and on Golgotha. In a more general way, the dream provided a vivid description of four main groups of people, types, and representations of all walks of life, persons with varying spiritual aptitudes and diverse degrees of sensitivity toward things of righteousness. This part of the dream might well be called the parable of the path. 
It has fascinating similarities to the parable of the soils in the New Testament and stresses the differences in spiritual receptivity. According to Lehi's vision, to navigate the path and arrive securely at the tree of life, one was required to hold tenaciously to the rod, the word of God, pass safely through the mists of darkness, the temptations of the devil, avoid detours from the path which might lead to the waters of filthiness or the depths of hell, beneath the path, and ignore the taunting voices of ridicule of those situated in the great and spacious building, the pride and wisdom of the world. Nephi's rendition of his vision given to us in 1 Nephi 11 through 14 is obviously a much more extensive account than that which Lehi delivered in 1 Nephi 8. It is a vision not only of the tree of life, but also a glimpse of the future destiny of the world, a vision not unlike that given to the brother of Jared, Enoch, Moses, and John the Revelator. And that closes that quote from uh, Brother Millet. So what have we learned in this and last week's study? Our journey through life will always be successful if we are centered in a relationship with the Savior. Think of his promises to you. When have you needed to be delivered? When have you needed second chances? How do we follow him? Well, we look to the needs of others. Where can I lift? Where can I comfort? Where can I mourn with those who mourn? Where can I lift and carry another's burden? This is what we have covenanted to do when we were baptized. When trouble comes into our lives, we hope there is a faithful covenant person nearby because they have promised to help us. So there's a few behold lessons as well. Um, in uh, chapter 11:35, behold the world and the wisdom thereof. In verse 36, the great and spacious building was the pride of the world. Um, 12, 16, behold the fountain of filthy water, the depths are the depths of hell. Verse 17, the mists of darkness are the temptations of the devil, blinds the eye and hardens the heart. And through it all, if we keep our eye and our heart on the Savior, make covenants and enter the covenant path with him, we will obtain the promise, we will be given our second chances, we will be delivered, and we will partake of the fruit. Challenge questions for everybody. What does the tree in the dream represent? Have a great week, and remember to follow the Savior's admonition to come follow me.